Well, hey everyone, good morning. My name is Austin. It's good to see you guys. This is our first uh, Sunday gathering in the new year, so I'm excited to kick it off right. Uh, And if you're wondering, like, why does he have a goatee? Mo's going to explain later in announcements. I have a bet going on with my wife, though, that if someone saws me for the first time, they'd think this is normal. She thinks that I look like a person that shouldn't be walking on the streets. And so anyways, uh, it's up to you to judge. I think it looks good. I might keep it. I don't know. Or maybe just go n- just stash next week. I don't know. Nonetheless, uh, man, last week, uh, Ricky, Pastor Ricky, kicked us off in our five sola series and um, taught on sola scriptura. So uh, scripture alone. And uh, sola is a Latin word, and it simply means alone. And so there are five solas. You've got, um, you've got scripture, faith, grace, Jesus, and glory. So those five things, and I want us to see how, how the five solas, we're going, we'll spend the next couple weeks going through it, how they all fit together, right? So the Bible, as our authority, clearly teaches that a sinner can be saved by faith alone, through grace alone, and Christ alone, which results in God getting the glory alone. Tracking with me? So that's how they all kind of fit together. And, and so the next two weeks, we'll focus on faith, grace, and Jesus, which essentially is answering the question of, of how we are saved, right? But this week, we get to look at why we are saved. Spoiler alert, uh, for the glory of God. Okay, so that's what we're going to be looking at uh, this morning. And we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So if you've got a Bible, you can open up there. But as we're jumping in, um, let me ask you this. Have you ever done something and someone got the credit for doing it? Yeah, right? Like that moment where we did something and some, someone's got a real, like, sharp example of it. Uh, ever done something and someone else got the credit for it? Well, man, every week when we get done writing our sermons for Sunday, we send it to uh, several other people, so several other friends. And, and they edit through it, and it's amazing, right? Because they're like, hey, you know, uh, add this section or make sure you apply here. Austin, don't say that. It's inappropriate. You know, like this standard stuff that you'd say to a pastor. And so, uh, so we have that. It's awesome. It makes us more confident to preach right? Because I'm like, man, people have edited it. It's obviously not blasphemy because Bob Wall said it was right. So it's just, it's just great. We love it. And, um, but what, what happens is that when we're editing each other's sermons, we write in like, hey, here's this quote or, or here's this point. Or man, this is really what God spoke to me through the sermon. And, they, and we, we'll just write it out for each other. And here's what happens on Sunday mornings. I preach my sermon and I get done and some people come up to me and they're like, man, that sermon was incredible. I really love this part. And I'm like, dang it, that's the part that Ricky wrote, you know? And I'm like, Mo wrote or Bob wrote. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's so cool. I'm so glad I got moved. But what about this part that I, that I wrote? And they're like, oh, yeah, that was okay, but I really like this part. And I'm like, you ungrateful, you know? Like, this is not okay. Um, but, but it's awesome. And we do it for each other. And it's this kind of humbling experience. And really, no one clearly gets the credit for it um, as far as how we operate. So it's, it's an awesome experience, but have you had a time when, when, when you did something and someone else got the credit for it? Um, and usually it gets us angry, right? Like we don't like when that happens because it isn't fair. We want to be recognized, and the reality is that we do that same thing to God every single week, every single day, right? We, he, he does things, and we try and take the credit for it, or, or we try and steal the glory away from him, or, or take the show, or, or get credit for something that he obviously and clearly did, frankly, we're we're naturally glory thieves, right? And so as I've studied through scripture, as I've grown just walking with Jesus, I think there are three primary ways or three primary areas that we tend to steal glory from God, okay? Our success, our salvation, and our sanctification, 
All right, so, so those are the three kind of areas I feel like we struggle with. And so this morning, through God's word, I would love for us to see the ways that we naturally tend to steal glory from God in those areas and, and, and avert our hearts, like repent from that and see how God deserves 100% of the glory for those things. Amen? So that's where we're going to be this morning. So let's jump in. I, I want us to see first that God gets the glory for our success. Okay, gets the glory for our success. Um, look how Paul starts out in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 1. He says, for consider your calling. Uh, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many of noble birth. Now, to get a little bit of context of what's uh, going on and who he's addressing, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth um, in response to questions they have and struggles they're facing. Okay, so that's what's going on. And Paul's pastoring them by not only answering their uh, questions that they had, but he's also giving them a grid for future struggles and temptations they have, right? But among all the problems, specifically here, he's addressing the sin of pride. And so what's happened is these people start to boast in themselves, start to get full of themselves, and are, and are in this um, puffed-up kind of state. So here's, what, here's what's happening. Paul's reminding these, he's like, hey, guys, just, just so you guys know, not many of you were the brightest crayon in the box. Okay, if I can be honest, like, love you guys, but that's not, you, you didn't go to prestigious university, not, none of y'all made the honor roll, you know, so you got that plaque you got to bring home to your parents, like, you didn't make that, uh, many of you weren't heard, you were powerless, um, you went unnoticed, you were low, um, uh, and then you didn't come from a noble lineage, or you don't have highly acclaimed parents, right? And so knowing all of that, with that as all the prefets of reminding them of, uh, of what was before, Paul continues in verses 28, 27 and 28, look what he says. But God, knowing all that, but God chose what's foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what's weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what's low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Paul is telling these Corinthians that God chose them and God, God used them not because of who they are, but in spite of who they are. Make sense? Like, it's just this beautiful picture of grace. And the Corinthian church was composed primarily of ordinary people who were terrible sinners, but they weren't far, too far off for God to save, right? He came in and reached them and used them. And wh- the question is, why did he do that, right? Why did God choose to use those people? Verse 29, purpose statement, so that... No human being might boast in the presence of God. See, these Corinthians are, are forgetting what God has done for them. Things start happening, and, and they start taking new levels of leadership, and people start noticing them. They start thinking, you know what? Yeah, you know, I am doing a really good job. And the success starts to get to their mind and kind of inflate their, themselves. It's getting to their heads. But isn't this easy for us to do? right? I know we want to point fingers at I'm like, I can't believe you would ever, you know, try and steal glory from God for your success, right? But we, we do it all the time. Like, I just went back to my hometown, McCook, last week. McCook, Nebraska, best town in Nebraska. And it's, I'm there, and I'm hanging out, and you know what it's like to be around friends from your hometown or people around your hometown. Everyone's wondering, how's your hairline doing? You gained a little bit of weight. You got your life together, you know? And so all that, I'm like, not phenomenal to the first two, you know? Uh, but anyways, um, so, so, but there's this temptation, this pressure to kind, of, um, to kind of make yourself seem like your life's awesome, right? Like, oh, yeah, I'm doing great. And, and what happens is a lot of people that, from McCook that, that know me, 
Nomi is like the person that somehow is a pastor of a growing church in Lincoln. And, and I moved away, and I, I'm married to a beautiful woman, and I have a beautiful daughter, and I have great friends, and from a distance it can look like Austin's got his life all together, right? And so people see me, and they're bringing these things to me. And there, I just felt such this temptation to start to pat myself on the back and say, you know what, Austin, yeah, you have done a good job. Like, yeah, you know what, like, good job taking steps of faith and good job leading, and you deserve that praise. And I was so convicted that at times this last week, again, a week before I preached this sermon, that there was times where I felt like I took the glory for myself and didn't point to Jesus, right? So convicted, so sinful that I fell into that. But God graciously reminded me, Austin, remember who you were right? Remember who you were. The same thing that Paul is doing to these Corinthians. Remember who you were. Friends, I wanted nothing to do with Jesus at all. Like I was uh, rebelling, dead in my sin, addicted, whatever that is, but on the outside looked like the good Christian guy, right? That that had his life together. My my parents were divorced when I was young. We moved around a lot. I got into trouble when I was 12. Wasn't always the, the smartest kid in school, all of that. And so for all intents and purposes, I'm the least likely guy for God to use. And yet look what he's done. He saved me. He, he's used me. He's given me joy and purpose and, and mission, and it's been incredible. And the, the question that rings through my head over and over again is, Austin, did you earn or deserve any of that? Absolutely not. In light of who I was, what Jesus has done is absolutely incredible. Romans 11, verse 36 says this, um, For from him, speaking about God, from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Paul's saying, man, uh, all things are from God, through God, and they point back to God. Tim Keller is a pastor in New York, and he says this. If you have money, power, and status today, so any three of those on any level, if you've got money, power, status, it is largely due to the century and place in which you were born, uh, your talents and capacities and health, by the way, none of which you earned. Okay, uh, in short, all your resources are in the end the gift of God. Do you see that? Everything you and I have in our lives is a direct gift of God that we did not earn. And so to make this personal, um, what, do you, what do you boast in, right? Like what's in your metaphorical trophy case that you're proud of and you want to point people to? Uh, maybe it's your house, uh, you, you know, the square footage of it, or the view from the backyard, or its hosting capacity, or the nice little neighborhood that it's in, or maybe it's your, your new title at work that you just got promoted to, and you're uh, successful and, and all this stuff. Maybe it's your family and you know, your kids' success. Maybe it's your, uh, your bank account, your retirement account. You think, man, this is secure. Maybe it's your, your medals from sports through school, or your high school stories. I don't know what it is, but listen, to boast in those things as if you've earned them, is like the kid on Christmas morning showing off his presents as if he paid with, for them with his own money. Make sense? Like how crazy that is to, say, to look at that. Like, no, you didn't pay for them. They were a gift. Everything we have is a gift of God. So listen, you have your job because God gave you the capacity to think and achieve and perform. Okay? You have that athletic ability because God formed the muscles and ligaments in your body to do that specific thing. You have that child in your life because God breathed life into it, uh, uh, formed it in your womb, and is now sustaining their life currently. Everything we have is a gift of God. But to assume that you've earned anything you have in life is to presume that it's not a gift, Right? And Romans 11 says that everything we have is a gift of God. 
It's all from him. And then a couple chapters later, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, this is what Paul asks. He says, what do you have that you didn't receive? In other words, do you have anything in your life that's not a gift? Okay, response. If then you've received it, if you have so many gifts, then why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? Right? Common logic. City light. In light of everything God has done for us, there's just no room for boasting. Right? No room for boasting in our success. So practically, how do we glorify God in our success? Right? That's the next question that comes about. Well, one, I think we thank him privately and publicly. So you might be sitting in the room and thinking, man, Austin, I, I get that, um, but I, don't really, I wouldn't really call myself a successful person. Like, like, I just don't really think I struggle with that, or I don't think I have a lot of success, or I don't think that I have a lot of gifts from God, to be, to be honest. And if I can just remind you, right now, God is allowing your heart to pump blood through your body. Right now, neurological waves are being sent from your brain to your lungs to remind them to breathe and your eyes to blink. Like, that's happening right now. God is giving you the next breath you breathe. So, yes, you have an infinite amount of gifts, even if you're just alive right now, that God is sustaining, okay? Among so many other things, if you've got clothes on, if you shower this morning, if you brush your teeth, all those things come in the reality that God has graced you with so much. And so, simply... Thank him for those things. Like, like sit, maybe it's tomorrow morning, for 10 minutes and just sit and thank God for everything he's done. Like, God, I, I'm just going to recount uh, all these things that you've done for me. And so thank him through prayer. But also, not just privately, but publicly. So my wife and I went over to a couple's house. They have a beautiful home a couple weeks ago for dinner. And I'm admiring it. And he comes over and, just, and he's like, dude, this is all God's grace. Like, this is totally God's grace that we're here. I didn't deserve it. And, it's, and it's, all, it's all yours. Like, whatever you want, resources, whenever you want to come over. I'm like, dude, I get off at 5 tomorrow. I take about 15 minutes, and less 27th is packed. You know, it's like, like okay. <laughs> but, but this reality, he just said, dude, it's all yours. And so if I can compel you, church, um, when you win that championship, uh, would you point to him? When you graduate and, and people are asking you, how'd you do it? Would you make him famous? When you get that promotion or, or you achieve something and you're being acknowledged, would you just be explicit about, man, thanks for acknowledging me. Thanks for saying this, but it's all to God's glory. Like he, he's the one that did it. So first, we thank him privately and publicly. Second thing is that if everything we have is a gift, then we've got to be open-handed with it, right? If everything we have is a gift, we've got to be open-handed. Um, if, so if you're afraid of hosting a city group at your house because you're like, you know what, I got my new carpet. I don't want Kool-Aid spilt on it. That, that, that Kool-Aid's a gift, but also the carpet's a gift of God, right? Like he gave you that carpet. If you're afraid to start giving consistently to church so that more people can meet Jesus, would you remember that your bank account is a gift of God, right? And by the way, your house, your job, your kids, your skill, your resources, your time was given to you not for your own glory, but for the glory of God. Okay, City Light, Jesus deserves all the glory for our, salvation, or for our success. So the next thing I want us to see is that God gets the glory for our salvation, right? Let's move to salvation. So look at verse 30 with me. And because of him... You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Uh, so look at that first part, right? That first part. So if we, we're just to say, and because of blank, you're in Christ Jesus. Let's try and fill that sentence in with things that we naturally think would fit in there. So the first thing is, because of your hard work, you're in Christ Jesus. Nope, doesn't say that. Like, no, none of us can work hard enough to earn salvation. Okay, well, what about because of your Bible memorization, improvement, and church attendance, you're now in Christ Jesus? doesn't say that either. 
Like no amount of verses memorized or church attended or, or cleaning yourself up or getting better could ever save your soul. Okay, what about this one? This one's huge. What about because of your commitment to Christ, you're now in Christ? No, it doesn't say that. See, like our commitment to God isn't the most important aspect of our salvation. So what does it say? Because of him, you're in Christ, right? Because of him. And to be in Christ, by the way, is to be identified with Jesus. So basically, Paul puts it in in Colossians 3, he says, you are hidden in Christ. In other words, Jesus' goodness, his perfection, his holiness, his righteousness, all of that is wrapped around you when you place your faith in him so that when God looks at you, he... He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your rebellion or your failure. He sees Jesus, his perfect son in your place. Isn't that beautiful? That's the gospel, that Jesus substituted himself for us, and now we're in Christ. That's what it means to be in Christ. And Paul is making it explicitly clear that the only reason you're in Christ is because of God. In other words, you and I did nothing for our salvation, purely a gift. And so some people say, you know, Austin, kind of what I think is that God did 50% of the work, and I did the other 50%, right, of my salvation. And, and, and it's a group effort. Okay. Well, to be generous, some people say, actually, no, I think God did 90% of the work, and I just did 10%. I just played a little role. But in light of what Scripture says, we can't even say that, that God did 99.99% of the work, and we did 0.1% of the work. Why? Because if that were true, even if we played a sliver of a role in our salvation, what would it lead to? Boasting, right? Even if we played the smallest, tiniest role, we, it would lead to boasting, to say, yeah, I played a role in that. That, that, that was me. I mean, mostly, almost all God, but, but a little bit me. But look at verse 31. Look at verse 31. Why are we in Christ, by the way, without any of our effort? Here's the purpose. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. It's common to think of grace um, and the gospel and salvation as kind of this like gift that's in front of us. It's this beautiful gift, right, that Jesus gave us. And all you have to do is open it up. All you've got to do is muster up enough strength and faith to just open up the gift. But that's actually not an accurate view of salvation. See, um, Ephesians 2 describes our state along with much of the Bible the rest of the Bible, describes our state before we meet Jesus as spiritually dead, okay? We're like, we're dead before we meet Jesus. And so I don't know about you, but I've never seen a dead person open a gift, right? Like, I don't know about you, but I've never seen a dead person kind of walk and say, you know what, I want to choose this. Like, a dead person doesn't have the ability to choose in their heart to to say, hey, heart, start pumping again. No, the only hope a dead person has is that someone would go to them, do all the work for them, and revive their dead souls, right? That's the only hope a dead person has, that someone would go to them and do for them what they could never do for themselves. And you may push back and say, Austin, wait, wait. I know that we have to make a personal decision to follow Jesus. And to that, I would say, absolutely you do. You are responsible to make a decision to follow Jesus. But in order to make that decision, you need faith, right? And Ephesians 2, a couple verses later, says that faith is a gift of God. So yes, you made that decision, awesome, but God gave you the faith and strength to make that decision, right? So, so, so I know that's kind of high and, 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 and big and beautiful, but, but why did he do that this way? So that the only thing we can boast in is Jesus. Right? That's our only boast. That's our only comfort. So Robert Capon says this, pastor, writer, he says this, 
The world is by no means opposed to religion, which might catch us off guard. Wait, what? The world's by no means opposed to religion. In fact, it is devoted to it with passion. It will buy any recipe for salvation as long as that formula leaves the responsibility for cooking up salvation firmly in our hands. Uh, The world is actually drowning in religion, but it's scared out of its wits with any mention of grace that takes sinners home for free. Isn't that beautiful? City Light, why do our hearts so strongly resist and, and not like the idea that salvation is only by God? Because if it's true, we don't get any of the glory. Right? Like we, we, don't, we don't get any of it. So simply put, the fact that salvation is through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, without any contribution of our part, ensures that God gets the glory alone. Uh, and so here's a little phrase to remember this, to kind of cap that off. Um, our salvation is from his grace and for his glory. Our salvation is from his grace for his glory. Um, man, a few years ago, I read, uh, I remember memorizing Psalm 23, and it's this beautiful psalm that uh, it's pretty well known, and it's about God being our shepherd and leading us and protecting us. And I loved it all, except verse 3. Okay, so here's verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Now, I like all that part, but then the end says, he does this for his namesake. And I just didn't like it. It didn't sit well in my heart. I just thought, man, for God to do anything for his namesake or for his glory, just doesn't, it sounds selfish. It doesn't, doesn't sound right. And then I read other passages that talk about it. And then I read other passages that talk about God being a jealous God. And I'm like, man, I got to reconcile this with him being a loving God. But how is he jealous? And so um, let me just try and make sense of this for us. When we use the word jealous, we use it in the sense of being envious of someone who has something we want, right? Like, so we could be jealous, say, I'm jealous of another person because they have a nice car uh, uh, or a house. I'm jealous of Mo because he's tall and grows a phenomenal beard, you know? Like, like we could be jealous of, of someone because they have a skill or ability we want but don't have. Um, and so I'm not sure what your jealousy looks like. Mine is height and beard growing, but, but... This is what God's jealousy looks like. See, it's not that God is jealous because someone has something he wants or needs. Remember, God is sufficient in and of himself. He doesn't need anything. Like, that wouldn't, if he did, that wouldn't make him God. Like, he's sufficient in enough in and of himself. But Exodus 20, verse 5, says this about his jealousy. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. See, God is jealous because someone gave away something that belongs to him. So he's speaking to people right now in these verses that are worshiping idols, and instead of giving glory to God, they're giving glory to these things, right? Um, So what he's jealous of actually belongs to him. So let me put it this way. Um, My wife and I go out to dinner, and someone walks up to her and starts flirting with her. Um, Like, I have the total right to be jealous. First off, I'm like, I don't blame you because she's beautiful. But second, I'm like, dude, no, like, that's not okay, Um, and uh, because she's, she's mine, right? Like, I love her, and, I, and I'm hers, and I have the right to do that. So not, that's, not, that's not a sinful jealousy. That's a, a proper jealousy to say, like, you're like mine, and I'm yours. Um, so jealousy is a sin when it's a desire for something that doesn't belong to you. But all glory, all honor, all praise belongs to God alone. 
right? So therefore, God is rightly jealous when praise, honor, or glory are given to other things. So like a good, faithful husband, God will be jealous when his bride, his church, are being flirted with by other things, and he'll stand in like a good husband and say, enough. I love them, and I will not allow you to tempt them with whatever you're doing. And you might think, here's a question that really, honestly, some of you might be thinking right now, and I had to wrestle with, okay, well, in light of all these things that God does things for his own glory, then does it make him some egotistical monster that's in desperate need of our praise for him, right? Like, you might be thinking that right now. Let me be clear, God isn't Tinkerbell, okay? Like, like uh, he won't cease to exist or faint or, or vanish if you don't believe in him. God is infinite in and of himself. He's holy, he's good, and, and no matter how hard we try and steal glory away from him, he is infinitely glorious, right? And when we worship, worship other things, we're ultimately giving glory to things that aren't glorious. And so for God to be jealous for his glory is actually the best thing for us. So hopefully this helps, this statement helps us understand this together about God's jealousy. It's not that God is jealous because there's a deficit in him that our praise can somehow fill. God is jealous because there's a deficit in us that only he can fill. Make sense? God is not jealous because there's some deficit in him that our praise can somehow fill. No, he's jealous because there's a big deficit in us that only he can fill. He will not stand and watch his children, his people glorify things that aren't glorious. He'll step in and say, no, those things won't deliver on those promises. And I will rightly take what's mine. He'll be jealous for his glory because he loves us. And so just to be clear, Jesus didn't just die to get you into heaven. Jesus died so that his glory could be revealed to sinful, blind people like you and I, right? He gets alone gets the glory for our salvation. He did it all, and we simply receive it as a gift for his glory. Amen? And then the last thing I want us to see is that God gets the glory for our sanctification. Now, if you're wondering, sancta what? Yeah, sanctification. I just learned how to spell it last week, right? Like, it's a crazy word. Uh, So sanctification. This is the process where God makes us more like his son, Jesus. Okay, the pro- sanctification, simply put, the process where God, he's the actor, makes us more like his son, Jesus. Sanctification, by the way, starts the moment you place your faith in Jesus and, and, and goes until the last breath you breathe, right? On this side of earth, we'll never be perfect. We'll never be uh, perfectly sanctified. We'll still wrestle with sin and temptation. Um, and some people have... Um, find it helpful to think of sanctification as like riding a bike. They think this is like, you know, so I'm learning to ride a bike, and God's my father, and I sit on the bike when I first come in relationship with him, and he's kind of pushing me along, and I'm learning, and I start to get the hang of like, of the Christian life. I start killing some sin. I start learning how to read my Bible. I start getting better, and then I'm like, all right, God, you can let go, and I just kind of pedal on my own, and, 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 and I'm doing my own thing, but that's not a biblical view of sanctification, Right? See, what happens is that when we first get saved, when we first give our life to Jesus, he's so glorified, right? And he's so important to us, um, and we understand it because we're so dependent on him. But what happens is this sneaky aspect of improvement comes in. The sneaky aspect of, of performance comes in. We start to think, you know what? I'm not as dependent on him as I was when I first gave my life to him, right? Like, I've kind of figured some stuff out. And so what happens is that we push away from dependence on God. We metaphorically are riding our bike and saying, I got it. I got, you can take off my training wheels, and I can rely on my own strength. But when we rely on our own strength to do stuff, what happens? It leads to boasting, 
Pride. Man, I did that. Oh, that's cool. That happened. Yeah, I did that. I figured it out last week. Church, we never graduate from our need of Jesus. We are just as dependent on him as on the day we trusted him as on the day we, are met, we meet him, right? Like at the end of our lives. And so look back at 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. And because of him, you're in Christ, right? Christ Jesus, that's, a, that's we, just gospel. Who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So Paul's literally saying that Jesus is our sanctification, not just our salvation. I know we always think of Jesus as our Savior. It says he's also our sanctifier. So sanctification, uh, becoming more like Jesus, isn't originated in us. It isn't achieved by us or sustained by us. It's because God has joined us to Jesus and made us new creations with new hearts, right? Scripture says that we've died to sin and been made alive to righteousness, And by the way, this isn't something you do or because of you. It's because God started the work in you and he'll be faithful to finish it. Like the good news is that God never starts a work that he doesn't joyfully finish. And we're products of that, right? I'm like, I look back at my life, I'm like, I'm surprised you haven't given up on me. And he's like, I started this work, (laughs) Philippians 1, 6, and I'll be faithful to finish it. It's awesome. And then look at Matthew 5, verse 16. Matthew 5, uh, 16, this is Jesus. So let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and be impressed by you. Start clapping, applauding you, patting you on the back for all the stuff you've done. Nope. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Uh, Right? Jesus is saying that our sanctification, our good works, is intended to glorify the Father, right? Not not for our boasting or our glory or our recognition, but to point to God's glory. And it starts to get really easy, doesn't it, to start to boast in how big your city group is or how many people you've told about Jesus or how many times you went to church without missing or how much money you've given or the, or the countries you've traveled and mission trips you've taken. It starts to get easy to boast in the verses you've memorized and all that. But listen, as Christians, we can so clearly see that salvation uh, is totally God's glory, right? Totally his doing. But then we start to act like we can boast in our sanctification, but, but it's sinful. It's not, it's not right. And this has been such a comforting verse to me this week. Uh, so look at what God says about this in Jeremiah 9, verses 23 through 24. Jeremiah 9. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Our boast, the thing we remember, the thing we celebrate, the thing that we tell people, the thing we're so excited about is not that we've improved, but that God, we know God. We know the infinite creator of the universe. The thing we boast in is not that we've done some things and we've, we've been, uh, done some incredible stuff, but that God has chosen to use us and enter into a relationship with us. That's our boast. And so City Light, if your view of sanctification doesn't involve glorifying Jesus more than it isn't sanctification. If you drive by a house and, and someone said, man, that's a great hammer that built that, you'd be like, what's in your drink? You know, like something happened. Like, that's not right, right? Like, no, like you drive by a beautiful house and you say, hey, what a great builder. What a great creator. In the same way, we have to realize that we're simply the instrument that God uses, but he's the creator, right? We're the instrument, but he's the one that wields it to make something actually beautiful. 
He gets the glory. So how, how amazing would it be, City Light, if all of us together said we're going to glorify Jesus so explicitly, so clearly through our success, our salvation, and our sanctification. And if you're in the room right now and you're like, man, I, I really struggle with this. Like I'm so guilty of taking glory for something I didn't do. Then you're not alone. Like I, to be honest, I had times this week where I was moments away from calling Ricky or Mo and asking them to preach this sermon instead of me. I felt like, man, dude, I'm so ill-equipped. Like, I'm just, I shouldn't preach this sermon. And I had to stop. And, and I had to re- accept and receive the grace that God uses me in spite of my sin. Right? Like, I had to accept that he'll still use me even when I'm trying to steal his glory. And, and so, man, I've got great news for glory thieves like you and I. Jesus doesn't give up on us. Right? Confessing our need for him, confessing that we've, we've failed and we've tried to take the glory for ourselves only glorifies him more because it shows and it proves his relentless, reckless, beautiful, inexhaustible, overflowing love for messed up sinners like you and me. That glorifies him even more when we confess that. Church, we're the jalopy that needs repair and he's the good mechanic that can fix we're the, we're the terminally ill patient. He's the good doctor who can heal. Man, we have such a glorious God. And so would we repent of all the ways we've tried to steal glory? And would we joyfully proclaim that Jesus deserves all the glory? What a glorious God we serve. Amen? Let's pray.